Grown-ups, children and babies, bienvenidos. Welcome to episode 63 of Stir Crazy, your unscripted, unfiltered take on politics and news brought to you by The Real News Network. Welcome to episode, did I say this already, 63? Uh, history, no more whitewashing of it. That's over, that's canceled. This is 2020. We, it's, it's, it's a brand new day, brand new time. And if the statue's gotta come down via rope and go swim with the fishes, then so be it. I'm your host, Kim Brown. Gang, we have a full slate of topics to discuss today, including uh, the fact that a lot of these statues are coming down and whether or not there should be an armed <laughs> response, uh, pro or against, um, specific, um, specifically referencing something that happened in Shreveport, Louisiana last week. But of course, there's so much happening across the country. It definitely did not make the regular news cycle. Maybe you saw it on your social media. We'll get into that in just a little bit. Plus, did you see the group of armed black men marching on Stone Mountain for 4th of July. That is the kind of holiday that I wanna celebrate. We will take a look at some of those pictures as well. Not to mention there has been another police killing. This time um, a Latino man, and this happened in Phoenix, Arizona. And um, we, we do have a video. I'm not sure if we're actually gonna show it or not because it is um, pretty shocking, but people immediately took to the streets uh, to protest what happened to James Garcia. We'll get into that also. Um, but first things first, I want us to talk about COVID and education and how President Trump and Secretary of Education, Bessie DeVos, are pretty determined to send your kids back to school amidst a pandemic. And colleges are planning to reopen in some form or fashion. Harvard's saying they're going all online, but that tuition still 50K, baby. You better cough it up. Um, so we're going to get into that right now after I introduce our fantastic panel to you. We are joined today uh, with sociologist Tori Brown. We are also joined today um, with housing and environmental organizer, Rachel Eve Stein, and one of Baltimore's founding members of the Chinatown, Chinatown Collective, Leandro Legera is joining us. Long time no see, Leandro, welcome back. Hey Kim, thanks. Uh, so guys, oh, oh wait, don't forget, everyone that's in the comments and in the chat and all that, yes, we wanna hear from you too, so be sure to hit us up with your comments, your questions, your concerns. Uh, I have been getting your emails, stircrazy at therealnews.com, I definitely appreciate it, and what's up to everyone who's watching via Twitter, on Periscope. So yes, I think I got that all out the way. Pano, we're gonna start with the coronavirus. COVID-19, very much still out here, jumping on people. I'm sure it jumped on a whole lot of people who were not social distancing and wearing masks over the 4th of July holiday weekend. Uh, we are seeing deaths now, upward of 130,000 or approaching 130,000 here in the US. We know that Europe has closed its doors to the U.S. because we are doing such a terrible job of managing this. So why on earth does Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos and ultimately President Trump want to send your kids back to school in the midst of a pandemic? Uh, the secretary was on a phone call with the governors uh, of all the states, obviously, um, where she was uh, uh, quoted at, well, let me paraphrase this, but she basically said that schools need to reopen. And this part-time shit that y'all talking about is not going to cut it. She wants your kids back in school five days a week. Now, I don't think that Secretary DeVos can compel you to send your kids back to school. Uh, but the fact that we have seen workers be pushed out the door back into these dangerous situations, 
Um, and then now it seems as if the, the government wants to follow suit with doing the same thing to the kids and also the teachers. So Tori, this is right up uh, your alley, honey. We're gonna start with you. What is your take about the plans to reopen schools and universities? And are you comfortable with these plans? I am absolutely not comfortable with these plans. Um, as a graduate student and a graduate student instructor, so I teach an undergrad class myself, um, I've seen just from the memos and communications uh, through universities, my own, and also uh, talking to other professors, graduate students, uh, the universities are really interested in their bottom line. And they'll dress it up and say stuff about how universities are serving uh, specific populations and how they're critical to our society. But the truth of the matter is that they're interested in their money and they're interested in making sure that they hit those enrollment numbers. So, I mean, this all goes back again to how society is organized around profit in the interest of those who have money. Bessie DeVos, obviously, or DeVos is a multi, multi-millionaire, uh, I guess maybe even billionaire status, close. Um, so those folks who are rich and wealthy, they don't really have to worry about their children going to schools because they go to private schools. Their children will probably end up taking online instruction. If not, they'll fly tutors in to teach their children. Um, so they really don't care about, you know, really the education of folks. It's about that bottom line. And even when you're talking about public education, it allows them to use an excuse to say, this is why we need, well, we have children taken care of now. We can, we can send workers back to work, even putting more people back into work in the harm's way. And while nobody's really addressed what's going on as far as the pandemic. Rachel, what, what is the, the temperature there in New York City? Obviously a ginormous school district with just a, a massive amount of, of children from varying backgrounds. So what is the plan? I'm not asking you to give me the exact plan, but generally, um, you know, what, what's being valid about? And, you know, for, for, for parents up there, what is their take about New York City's plan to, to start schools again in the fall? Well, I do not have kids, so I can't speak from uh, personal experience, but I know that my friends who are parents are just completely exasperated by everything, by having to balance um, educating their children with working themselves. Um, and it's kind of unclear as to what's gonna happen um, come September. We don't typically start our school year, for public schools anyway, until, until then. Um, but I mean, I, I went to New York City Public School there is no way you can social distance in in a public school classroom like just no no way so i'm i'm a little bit worried as to how we will actually come back to a physical classroom but in the meantime um something has to be done for these parents who are having to work you know both having having to work two incomes to survive and afford to live in New York City, let alone then educate their kids on top of that. It's kind of mm. an impossible situation for everybody involved. And I'm also thinking about all the kids in New York City who catch the subway and the bus to go to school, yes. right? So just a, a, another chance for, for possible COVID exposure. You, Leandro, before we went live, we were talking about uh, Betsy DeVos and how she was specifically critical about Fairfax County, Virginia's proposed plan to reopen. What was her issue there? Um, she wanted them to open five days a week, 
Uh, Fairfax County, I think, was approaching it much more cautiously and opening only two days a week or another option of having all the kids um, do online learning. I mean, this is just another part of Trump's kind of re-election strategy of saying that, you know, we defeated the coronavirus, all the kids are going to school, all the businesses are open, forget that there's a pandemic and forget that the death toll is, is, is getting higher, you know, let's do less testing and let's just say claim victory over the coronavirus and let's re-elect Trump. But I mean, I think this is so recklessly irresponsible and, but you know, the boss has never been known to be conscientious of the child, the children's actual education imperatives or safety. So I guess it's on brand and part of their playbook already. Mm. You know, guys, we are, we are seeing enormous spikes of positive COVID-19 um, uh, rates, instances of infection in a lot of big states, Florida, California, Texas, Arizona. Let's pop up that article real quick from, from Dallas, Dallas-Fort Worth. Um, I think it's Cook County there in, in the Texas area where they, doctors and, and also um, health care officials are warning parents that, you know, there are more kids becoming infected with COVID and why they may not require hospitalization or require intubation. You know, if, if what we preliminarily know about this virus is if that it causes lasting chronic problems with some of your major organs, heart, kidneys, lungs, et cetera, brain, um, you certainly don't want kids catching it. You know, e even if they don't take sick or even if they are asymptomatic, we don't know how this could affect children long-term. Um, but what about the teachers? <laughs> what about the instructors? Um, you know, for, for teachers who have perhaps maybe vulnerable themselves with compromised immune systems, or maybe perhaps be living with someone um, who has an underlying condition, this seems real fucked up to try to send teachers back into the classroom with all these germy children. Sorry, if I was a teacher, I'd be pissed. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be none upset. Yeah, I mean, I'd be upset, scared, nervous, um, even in the university setting. So many of the rules that they've established to be responsible towards COVID all, all relies on the students acting in a way that we know that, I mean, regular people are just not going to act. They are assuming that the students are going to come in, look forward, never been to the side to talk to somebody. Um, and they do all this in the same environment where they encourage us to participate in like cooperative learning and group le learning exercises and active learning exercises. So it's almost kind of ironic because they're telling us to operate in a way that we've never operated before and all assuming on the basis of student behavior. So it's, it's real scary. It's upsetting. Um, I'm fearful because, again, we don't know what this disease is really doing to folks. Um, I think that the biggest thing is for so long is now it's, it seemed to be killing, you know, black and brown folks, other folks who uh, don't have access to health care. And as far as the ruling elites in this country go, they don't care um, because it's not killing their people. Um, so I think that that's, that's really at the crux of why part of reason why they, they really don't care about what happens to those children because it's not their children. I mean, Rachel, is that is that the answer here? Is this the reason why, you know, it is not just Republicans, but mainly coming from the Republican side, this desire to open the doors, reopen the economy. Now, we've seen a number of these governors have to walk that back. Even governors who were initially were not requiring mandatory mask wearing now doing so. Uh, Greg Abbott, the governor in, in Texas, thinking of him specifically there. But Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, is still not mandating masks. I don't 
think unless that has changed today. Um, but I mean, what is the end game here? I mean, it can't just be to kill black and brown people, although it totally can. But my gosh, like if, if we are the, the demographic who is the essential workers for the most part, which is what has been attributed to why the disease has been disproportionately affecting black and brown people, because these are the people who generally cannot work from home. They have to go out and work. My God, if, if everyone is dead, what, what kind of economy do you have in the first place? What is the political end game to getting all everything restarted, even though we clearly don't have the pandemic in hand? I mean, it's all so short-sighted, right? It's all like every political moment now is like a day long. So every all of these decisions, I feel like, kind of blow up and have these consequences and just snowball over and over and over. Whereas like, if we look back and thought, you know, why don't we just pay everybody some money to just stay home, get over this, and then, you know, reopen, we would have, we would have been over this basically. But at this point, it's like the stopping and starting to like, please this delusional minority that still doesn't totally believe in this illness and doesn't seem to think that it affects them. Um, I think there definitely is that whole, there's the othering, there's the racism in it. Um, and there's just this like sense of entitlement about what you're allowed to do and, and what your, you know, what your rights are day to day. And I mean, you see people at the supermarket and stuff yelling about their constitutional rights with like a mask, <laughs> like that has nothing to do with um, anything in the constitution really. So, I mean, that's something, honestly, I'm still trying to unpack because so much of it, like you all were saying, um, goes back to other and goes back to racism. But then I think of the people who don't think that they need to wear a mask, which is kind of self-destructive. So this is the question that I'm, I'm still wrestling with. Those people are my favorite. This is freedom, freedom. I love those yeah. people. Those, they are hilarious. It's like, oh, well, if you're, you have so much freedom, how about the next time you get on an airplane, you want you go ahead and smoke a cigarette if that's what you are free to do, because you're not free to do it. They will lock you the fuck up for doing that. Um, so, every, you know, there are, there are limits to our freedoms, basically. I think everyone, you know, who is on this side of the earth understands that. And when I say this side of the earth, I mean the political earth, not the actual earth. Um, Leandro, <laughs> uh, when you hear that Harvard University is going to 100% online classes, uh, there will be no in-person education this fall at Harvard. I know a number of universities are contemplating similar things. Um, I know here at the University of Maryland, I think they are, I, the idea of having um, social distance classrooms. They've already marked off, you know, 60% of, of capacity in, in most classrooms. I don't know how in the world they're going to do the dorms. Again, I, I'd be terrified if I were a college student or the parent of a college student at this point in time. Uh, but when Harvard, the so-called creme de la creme of uh, upper echelon higher education here in the United States, is going to online, like Howard Community College. <laughs> uh, what, what's, your, what's your take about that? And the fact that Harvard is still going to charge normal tuition as usual. 
I mean, a tuition part isn't surprising, right? Like Harvard's going to charge you what Harvard charges you because you're going to Harvard, right? I mean, it's they're greedy, just like Tori said earlier. I mean, I think what, and regardless of who gets into Harvard and whether or not they deserve to get into Harvard, if Harvard can't figure out kind of in-person education or classroom education, then I'm not sure who can. Though if you read that article, they're still bringing on students on campus, especially all first year students, and they're gonna have them in single rooms with shared bathrooms, which seems kind of like terrifying because I remember being in college, never cleaned that bathroom and a lot of things happened that were kind of gross and disgusting there. So I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily the right uh, strategy for Harvard, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think if someplace like Harvard can't figure out how to do online classrooms, I wouldn't have much faith in other universities doing it. And, you know, if I had a college age kid, I probably would definitely have them stay home and do online classes. I'd be pretty upset about paying full-time tuition. And I think that's something that needs to be really addressed because, you know, you're paying for quote unquote, the college experience. And that's not necessarily what the online experience will give you in terms of the tuition that you're paying. And maybe, maybe there's a way there where they'll be able to apply to future years or future tuition, but I don't know. So we have a couple of comments from the comments. Jean says that the solution is to fund the parents so they can stay home. That sounds like a brilliant idea. Ranting Bald Hippie says, to serve the corporation is the highest human value. The subjugation of the individual is the fountainhead of my self-worth, hashtag trickle down identity. And Miss Blanche says, everyone I know is homeschooling. I don't blame you y'all because I mean, children are just, filthy in general, right? I mean, I don't mean like, no, 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 I do mean filthy. I think filthy is the right word here. And, you know, coronavirus will just certainly um, exasperate that. But I'd like to move on to a bit of good news. If we could all focus our, 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 our attention on the screen, um, these, these statues are coming down. The, the racist statues, the, the Confederate statues, the Columbus statues more specifically. And I'm sure if you didn't already uh, see this wonderful video that came out of Baltimore City over July 4th weekend, uh, where Christopher Columbus statue, all 35,000 pounds of it, was taken down and got to swim with the fishes. Now, don't blink or you'll miss it because it's at the very beginning of the video. Let's check it out. like a wild party out there in Baltimore. Um, this is not the only place this is happening, obviously. I, I want us to go to Shreveport, Louisiana, where there was a scheduled demonstration last week. I know this is, is old, but you haven't heard it, so it's not old to you, right? So there was a scheduled demonstration at a Confederate memorial um, that has been you know, very prominent in the city of, of Shreveport, but activists have been trying really for years to get it removed. And um, it was really two armed groups that came out there to oppose each other. There was no violence. Um, things were mostly peaceful, but it was definitely um, a, a line drawn in the sand. So I, I wanted to take a look at the local news report discussing 
this protest. And then we're going to hear from the gentleman who showed up to defend the protesters. Let's have a look. Malcolm X once famously said that a movement is not a movement until everybody is moving everywhere. In a press brief at an undisclosed location, community organizers still share their message. You're not being silenced, but when you're in an authority of power, you have to know when to execute your power in order to make the right initiatives. What was supposed to be peaceful protest against the Confederate monument on 4th of July turned into a briefing after it had to be canceled. Leaders say they were given death threats, amongst other threats, because of the Confederate monument downtown. I was there on Saturday when we asked the, the counter-protesters to have a discussion with I us and they refused. Counter-protesters approached us in anger leaving only momentarily to put their guns and knives in their car before police arrived. Last week, intentions rose over the protest of the statue. The National Trust for Historical Preservation released a statement last month in regards to Confederate monuments. They believe that black lives matter, black history matter, and that African Americans have Enormous, have made enormous contributions to American society. And the organizers say the way black men were portrayed when they decided to arm themselves, just like the counter-protesters, wasn't fair. Several young black men from our community also practiced their Second Amendment rights to bear arms to show that we were protected. I could stand here and ask why someone who looks like me can carry a gun and no one bats an eye, but I think we know the answer to that, and it is racism. Mm. Now, remember, Louisiana is an open carry state. And as I mentioned, a group of, I won't even call them counter-protesters, really, they were more like protester defenders, showed up and um, made, made their presence abundantly clear. Let's take a look at this video from Instagram. Why, why are you guys out here with guns? Why not? Those guys came on Sunday and they tried to intimidate some innocent uh, women, ladies. Women. Unarmed men. They got one arm right here. They got one of them right there. Just post up right there. Just post. Just keep it right there. We came out here because those guys came out here trying to intimidate those girls, and they thought that they were gonna have it easy. But one phone call was made, and the whole and 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 everybody came down here armed. No bullshit. And Louisiana is is a total gun state. Yes, an open carry state. So and so that's open carry. So that's why we out here. Who came out here this weekend? Who are you talking about? The Confederates. You watch the news, right? What station you with? KTB. KTB. Oh, y'all ain't keeping up with that. No, I'm, I'm I bet. I bet. So, 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 yeah. So, so anybody, so anybody that keeps up with the news, anybody that keeps up with the news, you should know what went on this weekend. You should know. Don't start paying attention whenever we respond to shit and stuff. The person you just saw speaking there, his name is Nikki Daniels Jr. That was from his Instagram account at uh, Sleep Is For The Rich. Uh, now, Nikki is a um, clothing designer. He, he designs streetwear. Um, he does a, a, lot, a lot of artsy stuff in and around um, Shreveport. And as you saw there, he was definitely down to show up with the long guns <laughs> uh, versus the Confederate protesters. Uh, one last video, Dwayne. I want us to look at that short one coming out of Atlanta because again, Stone Mountain, Georgia, right outside of Atlanta is a Confederate monument. It's ginormous. It, it's pretty disgusting. But 4th of July, it looked a little different out there at Stone Mountain Park. Uh, Stone Mountain Park. Let's take a look. That's cool. Okay, we don't have that one. No worries. <laughs> All right, guys. So 
there was an, a, a counter protest. I won't even say a counter protest, but really hundreds of black men and women showed up armed to the teeth. Now they wasn't out there to cause problems, but I guess they was out there to solve problems <laughs> should any problems had arisen. Now, Tori, I'm, I'm gonna say this is your neck of the woods just because of you further south than the rest of us. Um, mm -hmm. Looking at the video that we just saw coming from Louisiana, and I'm sure you're aware of the protest that happened over the weekend in Stone Mountain. The fact that black people are showing up armed um, at these places where really we, we have not been able to exercise our second amendment rights to the extent uh, that white Americans have. What is your take about, about this, this response, this aspect of the movement? Yeah. I mean, if we're talking just specifically about people being willing to arm themselves, I love it. I mean, it's some, some of the best things I've seen this weekend, um, but it's not unusual, especially if you're talking about the state of Louisiana, this is home of the De deacons of defense, um, who were significant if we're talking about the black freedom struggle of the 1950s and 60s, who were a group of folks who were willing to stand up and be armed and protect folks who were protesting, even the nonviolent uh, workers. Um, Dr. Charles Cobb wrote a book called uh, That Nonviolent Stuff Will Get You Killed. And you can read some more about that. Uh, but it just shows that folks are, are, are right for self-defense and understand that black folks, like everybody else, have a right to defend themselves, their families and their communities. And folks are willing to step up and do that. I, I know that folks always believe that, specifically if we're talking about in the South. Um, that's always our tradition. I grew up ready for something to pop off, right? Um, so I think that we've always had that energy. It's just not always uh, had the opportunity to mobilize around certain things to kind of express that. Uh, but even again, I think back to 2015 when I had a viral hashtag called um, We Will Shoot Back. And this was specifically right after the Charleston murders. And what I saw just from the fact that it went viral and all the people that contacted me in the media, stuff that I did, it just showed that folks were ready and ripe and willing to stand up and defend themselves by any means necessary. And we're just seeing that, that's not something new. This is something we've done ever since we were snatched from the shores of Africa. We've always resist militantly if necessary. And I'm just happy to see that folks are still kind of continuing that tradition. Actually, we did have a comment from the comments specifically about this. Leandro, I'm going to be nice and, and kick this one to you. I, and I'm joking because this is, I think it's a difficult question. Uh, so excuse me if I'm being a little sarcastic here at the moment. Now I can't find my Slack channel. I don't know what to do with it. So I need to move along. But, um, you know, I, you know, Tori brings up an interesting point, Leandro, because I, I do think of this, this posturing with guns as more of a, um, a Southern thing. It's more of a regional thing. Because here in the U, um, here in the U.S., right here in Maryland, for example, if if there was a, a group of armed people, or even in Washington D.C., New York, Philadelphia, people just walking around armed, long guns, um, that that would trigger a, a, a negative uh, law enforcement response. We don't really enjoy those those types of Second Amendment rights as they do in in, in more red states. Um, no, not in Maryland, but you know that's that's what you get when you fight for open carry laws and. And kind of you know, um, you know more unrestricted gun laws, um, just like the NRA is law for in Georgia, Florida, etc. And you know, I I don't think they meant to have black people necessarily be carrying weapons, but you know, laws should apply equally to everybody. Um, as we know, they don't. But it's so good to see that people are taking arms and 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 being armed in protests in Maryland. You know, they lose their shit over statues. Um, being put in water like Larry Hogan just did. So uh, I can't even imagine if people showed up in guns and protest in Baltimore. Here we go. All right. So Rachel, I'm, I'm going to kick this one to you. 
or I'm actually just put this out to the panel because this gentleman put this question uh, in the chat way before we even started. William Dickens says, I have one question. Do them marching with guns get us the redistribution of wealth? Did it stop the killing of uh, ADOS slash black peoples? Well, guess I had two questions, LOL. I mean, come on, William, you already know the answer to that. Of course, it did not get us the redistribution of wealth, but at the same time, it let your enemies know that you are packing that thing. <laughs> if they want to run up, they can get done up. Rachel, what is your take on what, on what we saw over the weekend? Sorry about that. There's only so much that I can uh, sort of say based on my identity, but I, I will say one thing that's interesting to me is who's perceived as a problem, right? Like whether it's a white person showing up with a gun or a black person showing up with a gun, it seems like when white people show up with a gun, they're solving problems or that's how many people perceive them. And when black people show up with guns, that is the problem. And I think that's where people really need to uh, sort of reframe their perspectives and, and think about how they're really viewing that situation. But I mean, overall with on the, the statue front, I think it's awesome. I mean, this is like way overdue and it's incredible how quickly all this stuff is happening. And, you know, I would also just say for anybody with reservations, especially people who are Jewish like me, think about if we had statues of Hitler around, you know, like if you went to Germany and there was a statue of Hitler and they said, oh, well, we left it up so that we could like remember how shitty Hitler was. Well, I, do you feel like that helps? Because I don't, I don't feel like that helps. So I would just encourage people to, to, to think of it that way. I think it's um, heritage, not hate. It's heritage. Think, Every time right. someone says that, I want to punch them in the teeth. <laughs> Go so ahead, Leandro. After the, after the Columbus statue came down Baltimore, um, there's a few interesting things that happened. So it, like two days or day, the next day, the Lumbee tribe uh, under the group called Indigenous Strong came and did a cleansing ceremony uh, at, at the plinth, which is the base of the statue uh, at Columbus. And there was one woman who did uh, like a cleansing dance and there's there's actual real pain in her face. And you, there are some beautiful pictures that came out that you saw it on Baltimore social media. And, you know, if, if you ever, if you ever question what the effect is of having those statues up and what they're being torn down, you need to see these images. You need to see kind of the relief and the anger and the pain that caused indigenous people for so long in terms of Columbus. There are plenty of people in Baltimore who during who are doing that, what about ism? Like, what will the Columbus statue accomplish in terms of Baltimore's education, you know, disparity of wealth, et cetera? Well, you know, that's just gaslighting at its best. But, you know, if you saw these pictures of the indigenous Lumbee tribe doing a cleansing ceremony on the statue, then you would know what the effect of the statue is. On the flip side, um, there's a few other funny things. They, they actually moved the Google map pin of this statue into the water. So you know exactly where it is. And the head seems to be missing. So that's great too. And and there are people, like, there's literally a guy named Tony who brought his pickup truck to kind of take the statue out of the water. And luckily he wasn't really that successful, but the Italian Americans in little Italy lost their shit over this statue. So if you don't think these statues matter, you know, for different sorts of groups, then, you know, you're fooling yourself. But luckily the statue I think is still in the drink or maybe it's out now, but I'm so glad that, that people are 
you know, protesting and moving and initiating to take these things down. So, Leandro, the, the latest that I've heard that's happening with the Columbus statue in Baltimore is, I think it was Megan Pringle, uh, WBAL uh, News 11 in Baltimore, reported that they were able to retrieve the statue in pieces. And the intention right. is to put the statue back together at an undisclosed location. However, the Italian-Americans, I guess, society of Baltimore wants to replace it, not necessarily with Columbus, but with another um, uh, Italian American of, of esteem, which I think is a brilliant idea. I mean, I, I feel bad for Italians who think that this is a, a, a personal attack against them or their nationality or their heritage. No, Columbus singularly was a piece of shit. That is not indicative of all Italians, some Italians, most Italians, not not even a little bit. So if they and can he find may, a, he may ahead. not even be Italian. Oh, Columbus? He was what, Spanish? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, they claim him, so yeah. So it's all also, up, right? You know, yeah. one thing that I, I thought was interesting, I never thought about it before this, the Confederacy did not last very long. Like, somebody pointed out the Obama administration lasted longer <laughs> than the Confederacy. So if we want to talk about heritage and history and, like, things that we want to identify and preserve and all that. Like, what does that even mean in terms of time? You know, yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to stretch out too long about this, but you know, being somebody that lives, I guess, in the Confederacy, the former Confederacy, whatever you want to call it, United States is still a piece of shit. But um, it, for, for a lot of folks, when they say heritage, really what they believed in, they believed that they were going to get their plantation and live on this wonderful kind of Southern aristocracy and that folks interrupted that dream. I mean, just like everybody now today feels like they're the next billionaire, millionaire waiting, right? Capitalism all sells us this dream that if we work hard, we can become the next Jeff Bezos. Well, the same thing would happen in the slave system that folks believe that they bought into the system and defended it that one day they'll get their plantation house and their farm and their slaves and have this great kind of Southern gone with the wind fantasy. And when they say they, that heritage, that was that dream that they got ripped away from them. And now they don't have anything because a lot of them are living, dealing with the same kind of inequality that we all face. Totally. And, and speaking of inequality, the country has been in the throes of this massive, amazing uprising that is happening from city to city, town to town here in the U.S., since the murder of George Floyd at the end of May. My gosh, it seems like it's been longer than that, but here we are, uh, early July. But if you think the police have stopped killing unarmed people of color, you are quite mistaken. Uh, over the holiday weekend, July 4th in Phoenix, Arizona, Phoenix Police Department um, approached a man who was sleeping in his car. Um, and clearly it, it escalated from there. The man never exited his car. Uh, but police shot him multiple times. Now we have video and I'm going to be honest with y'all. I, I saw the video and I think part of my brain like blacked out, like my, my eyes were not registering what, what I was watching. Um, so we have it to run. So I'm going to give the, the trigger warning, the, the graphic content warning um, that this, this could be disturbing to watch. So this video was shot by one of James Garcia's neighbors, um, who had the horrible misfortune to witness this entire event. Let's take a look. Put the gun down, motherfucker! Put it down! I am recording it. 
don't hey, shoot, shoot him. Don't shoot him. Again, very disturbing video happening this weekend in Phoenix. That was James Garcia, who police shot and killed um, broad daylight in his vehicle in his driveway. Protests happened almost immediately after this terrible murder um, of, of this of this person. And um, I, I want us to go to ABC 15 Arizona just so we can have a, a live local look at what happened afterwards where people were making their, their desires known for more transparency from the Phoenix police. Justice for who? James Now the crowd of roughly 200 people earlier made up of activists and community members, many who have been protesting for weeks since the deaths of Dion Johnson and George Floyd on Memorial Day. The group marched about a mile to the driveway where Garcia was killed and held a candlelight vigil for the father. Garcia's sister actually addressed the crowd before they made their demands. I want justice for my brother. Please help me get justice for him. He means the world to me. For us to get to the bottom of it, we need them to release the footage. What do we need? Now, as for the police body camera video, ABC 15 is also asking for the prompt release of the full footage so the public can decide which of the two competing stories is closer to what actually happened. 
Woo, that's bad framing. So the public can decide which of the competing stories is what actually happened. Well, let me tell you what the Phoenix police have done. They have not released the full body cam video of the police killing James Garcia. What they did release was a snippet of what they claim are the police recovering a gun from his car. The police claim that James Garcia pointed a gun at them. So mind you, this man was asleep in his car, in his driveway. He's approached by police who was actually looking for another person, not him. And now they claim that all of a sudden he decided to point a gun at them while there are several guns trained on him. So, you know, Tori, the, the Phoenix police chief said, and I'm paraphrasing here, that she wanted to correct a campaign of, of misinformation about what happened. Obviously, the police are, are defending their own actions, saying that they were justified in, in shooting James Garcia. But at the same time, we know these motherfuckers lie, <laughs> okay? They lie like rugs. They lie as, as simple as they are breathing. I know it was devastating to see what happened to James Garcia. What is your take about this? Um, and, and the fact that people have maintained their presence in the streets for all these weeks, in spite of it not getting um, a massive amount of media coverage still. Yeah, I mean, I just got a heavy sigh, first of all, and try to calm myself down so I don't say stuff that gets me fired from my job or embarrass my mama. Um, I think, I mean, I'll say this. I look forward to the fact of the day when the police no longer exist. And every day we're moving closer to that reality and the resistance that has been maintained in the streets is reflective of the desire of people who want to live under that kind of society in a society where we can just be in spaces and not worry about a gun-toting militia running up on you and blowing your brains out um so I think that, again, this resistance is reflective of the fact that folks want, want a different world and, and want a world that's not, that doesn't include police. Um, they don't keep us safe. They don't solve problems. They exacerbate. And then they take funds away from services that should get more funding. So I think it's unfortunate what happens to James Garcia. The, the, re the reality of the fact is it's going to happen probably to somebody today, somebody tomorrow, um, and maybe the next day until we get to the point where there is no longer police. Um, and that, that's just the reality of the fact. And I just, I'm just kind of heartbroken by the fact that there's so many people who are murdered that you never even hear of that won't even get the, the protest that James got because they live in a rural area that made where it's hard to get the word out where, or people, you live in a neighborhood where violence is so high that anytime you try to organize around anything other than intracommunal violence, you get, it, it gets pushed to the wayside or it's thought, it's thought as, as a distraction. But nonetheless, I look forward to the day that police no longer exist. We must abolish the police. And this is what, what happened to James is a direct, uh, is a good evidence as to why we should. Mm. Rachel, I I'm curious your opinion about whether the police will or have they already become a, a political liability for elected officials? Um, you know, Republican or Democrat has a tendency to, to stand with police. We know Barack Obama, his last year, I believe it was in office, you know, helped to sign the Blue Lives Matter bill um, in, into law. But the police as a whole, as an institution, just lacks so much credibility um, for huge swaths of people who just don't believe what they have to say because they have been proven in, time and again 
to have lied, misre misrepresented the facts, uh, misrepresented how a person was behaving or whether or not they were combative or resisting, et cetera, et cetera. And we know in New York City, my God, there's such a long list uh, of those who have been unarmed, killed by police, and the police made up a story, but it came out to be something different. Um, wh when is it gonna become untenable for politicians to, to stand by police, or will it ever be, in your opinion? Oh, it's getting there, for sure, on the, on the left and the Democratic Party locally. Um, if we're talking about city council and um, New York, a lot of the New York state uh, level officials within the city, um, I think most of the people who are involved on the left, and I'm talking about people that, you know, really like me, who kind of overlap with um, electoral politics, are really going way more towards the abolitionist side and fast. I mean, I I feel like the last month has been this whiplash where, you know, you went from like, well, you know, this isn't representative of all cops and sometimes, and it's just, I mean, we're, you know, just like, um, was it uh, Minnesota, Minneapolis, I think, you know, we're really having these serious conversations about, um, about defunding the police. And there was a huge uproar with the city council budget actually, um, where activists were calling on the mayor and the city council to take out, I think to defund the police at least uh, a billion or two. And, you know, you had people like an Occupy City Hall, like people were watching this intently to see which council members were voting for and against. And it was interesting, like, I, I live in um, a pretty sort of lefty uh, area. My council member, Brad Lander, um, he voted against the budget. And that was a really big deal. And I think actually the politically prudent thing for him to do, and he's running for citywide office very soon. And pretty much everyone, most of the people running for citywide office um, voted against uh, the budget. Uh, and there were some folks who voted for it. And I think it was a lot of the people who maybe can't come from like slightly more conservative areas, but um, I gotta say it is already a liability. And I am, I am shocked at how fast uh, all of this is happening. I feel like I'm still catching up and, and educating myself too and questioning what what I, things that I had believed to be true. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Leandro, you know, Baltimore City Police have a terrible <laughs> reputation, uh, not only in the city, but the, the, the city police department is under federal uh, consent decree from uh, the Department of Justice. And even if you read the consent decree report, you will just read how, you know, shameless the police were in violating people's civil and constitutional rights on a regular basis, even with the DOJ sitting right there. Um, and, and we even saw an interesting exchange over the weekend uh, via Twitter. I'm not sure if you saw it. I'm sorry to just spring this on you. But between Councilman Ryan Dorsey and whoever mans the Fraternal Order of Police uh, Twitter account, where he, the, the FOP was basically talking shit to Councilman Dorsey, like, yeah, you wanted us to come resolve your neighborhood dispute the other day, and now you wanted to fund us. Well, fuck you, buddy. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, we're, we're seeing, you know, the, the, the relationship become frayed 
between politicians, Democrat and Republican, uh, who mostly have had cozy relationships with law enforcement, uh, even especially Democratic controlled places. I'm thinking about Chicago with Lori Lightfoot in, um, in um, Atlanta with uh, uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms. I mean, and Muriel Bowser in, in, right here in Washington, D.C. I mean, close. They are close. And now, maybe not not as close. Um, the biggest part about that, Ryan Dorsey tweet is it was an absolute lie. FOP made up, made up that story. And if you see his retweet, he was like, this isn't true. I mean, I, I don't know how they can get away with that kind of thing. Um, just to note, I, I know you just mentioned DC, but like the DC city council had proposed a bunch of kind of rollbacks to the police budget and such, you know, a few weeks ago, but like today they, it, it was strange. They, they kind of took it all back. The only thing they kind of left in was um, family members could approve or not approve whether or not police videos were released of their loved ones being shot or killed. But otherwise, all the concessions they gave to Black Lives Matter protesters and, and the such, they rolled back just recently today in the new set of D.C. budget hearings. So I don't know what D.C. is doing, but it seems like they are They've been conceding to the police for a long time. And Bowser, I feel like in the city council is still, you know, hand in hand, lockstep with the police there. In Baltimore, I think it, you know, the tide is changing. It's a little bit different. Um, we'll see what Brandon Scott does when he, he gets in office in in December. But like, you know, you know, Jack Young for sure is not going to do anything about the police for now. Um, especially since he's, you know, probably in the pockets of a, a bunch of corporate entities and such who value um, the way to police enforce safety in Baltimore. You talk about DC and I saw something pretty interesting from one of the leaders of Black Lives Matter DC. I think her name is April Goggins. And I was watching one of her live streams where she was part of a car caravan protest going through, through downtown Washington. And she listed off how Washington DC is the most policed jurisdiction in America. And she brought up a lot of shit that I had never even thought about. So you have Metropolitan Police, you have FBI, CIA, you know, Department of Justice, and then all of the like uh, departments have like their own police, like Department of Labor has their own police. And it's like, why the fuck is there so many police? It's only a town of 600,000 people. We don't need all these goddamn cops. Uh, but we do have a lot of comments from the comments, gang. I know we're getting ready to wrap up here shortly, but I wanted to get these in. Kevin Tui says, I feel so fucking sorry for the world with the U.S. in power. Of course. Um, R. Marber, L, I can't remember. Marberin. Marberton 8. R. Marberton 8. Flat out state terrorism in, refer in reference to uh, James Garcia's murder. And Keel Jones says the power of the police unions is the biggest problem. I think people are, are starting to understand that. Also, Paul X, friend of the show, BSOG, says when a gang fears losing power, it becomes its most violent. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what we just mm -hmm. saw in that video. Um, police broad daylight, knowing that cameras are rolling, knowing what the moment is right now, and they still took Mr. Garcia's life. Well, unfortunately, you know, as I said, people have been taken to the streets for weeks, and this weekend was no exception. I want us to take a look at um, a, a protest from Seattle. This was over the weekend where Black Lives Matter protesters shut down. I think it's Interstate 5 there that runs through Seattle, and um, it, it, was, it was a beautiful moment until something bad happened, but let's take a look at what happened before. To the left, 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 to the left,
normally what we do at the cabaret, right? But um, there was there was a terrible, I, I can't even call it an accident because by all intents and purposes, it seems to be intentional. Uh, can we pop up that tweet from, from the trooper? Dwayne, let me read the details because um, over the weekend, a Black Lives Matter protester was struck and killed. Uh, this is from the um, trooper Rick Johnson, who is a public information officer for the Washington State uh, Police Department where he said that he was on the scene of an incident on I-5 in Olive Way. A vehicle drove through the closure and struck multiple pedestrians on the freeway. Two people were transported to Harborview, one with life-threatening injuries and one with serious injuries. And tragically, um, Summer Taylor uh, ended up losing her life as a result of this incident. The driver was arrested, taken into custody and charged, but we want to remember 24-year-old Summer Taylor. She worked with pets. She worked at a vet clinic. Um, she apparently has been involved in the Black Lives Matter protests since the inception several weeks ago. And um, the other individual, um, uh, another woman, I'm sorry, I can't think of her name, um, still remains in critical condition um, and is hospitalized. But we definitely want to send our, our condolences out to Summer Taylor. And, you know, guys... <laughs> Obviously, we don't want people to die, but people are dying, right? Either at the hands of police or through, through, through different ways. But to put your, your body on the line in, in support of a cause that, that you firmly believe in, in defense of people who are more marginalized and vulnerable than you. Uh, you know, Tori, this is not the first time um, that, that white allies have lost their lives in defense of, of Black and people of color lives. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not the first time. Um, and it, it's just this disturbing trend of folks driving cars into protest. I mean, I think this is, I don't know, over the last couple of weeks, I've seen at least three or four different instances around the country. Um, not to say that I know that there's a coordinated effort behind it, um, but it's just a disturbing trend nonetheless. But the fact of the matter is that change in a country that, or change in a place that is maintained through violence is going to be a violent process. And that's just the, the reality of it. Um, unfortunately, right now, most of the violence has occurred on the side of the oppressed because we know that the ruling elites have a monopoly on violence, essentially. And they're enacting it through the state or through vigilantes who feel empowered uh, through the rhetoric that's offered um, by representatives of this class. Um, so, I, I mean, it's just it's 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 an unfortunate and uncomfortable reality of what we're dealing with here. And I think it is. It, it, uh, the comment of the person earlier, when a gang is losing power, they become their most violent. And that's what we're seeing now um, as people are resisting really some core institutions and asking some fundamental questions about how our society is organized. And when they do that, that's extremely dangerous. And right now they have folks who are trying to defend this. Um, and, and it's just unfortunate all the way around. And I hate to see anybody lose their lives, but part of it is also trying to get people to get out of the streets. They, they want to intimidate folks. They want folks not to be out uh, disrupting traffic or causing uh, disruptions, right? What the protests are meant to do is meant to kind of uh, disrupt things. So I, I'm, I hope that folks continue to be in the streets as safe as possible, as vigilant as possible, um, and continue to wage the struggle as it needs to be. Rachel, when I heard about what happened to Summer, obviously my brain immediately went to Heather Heyer in, in Charlottesville. And the person who was responsible for her death is either serving a life sentence or he's doing a lot of time, a lot of years behind jail. And again, 
police have the person who um, allegedly hit Summer Taylor uh, in custody as well. And they're likely facing a, a myriad of, of felonies. But at the same time, it's not really about are they going to jail? It's the fact that they, they took this, the, this person's life who was out there risking their life basically to shut down a highway um, in, in support of black lives. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's hard to really, um, to really absorb all of this tragedy and all of these people who are really putting their lives on the line for freedom. And it's, it's, you know, we were taught, like, I'm in my 30s. And so when I was a kid, we were sort of taught like, oh, all this stuff kind of ended in the 60s, right? Like civil rights happened and then like everything's basically been okay and it's just been like getting better and better. And that's just not the case. And I think um, people really have been in, especially, you know, white people, or I should say non-black people have been in for a really rude awakening. And I think um, Heather Heyer, that certainly jolted a lot of folks who looked at her and saw somebody that looked like them or their daughter. And, you know, we don't want to uh, normalize people, only humanizing people that look like them. I think it did sort of start to, to get people to um, put themselves in the shoes of, of more oppressed people who have been uh, dealing with this violence and, and tragedy for this whole time since uh, civil rights movement was over. Leandro, I'm gonna let you get the last word before we go. Um, so I'm thankful you didn't show the video of uh, the two women actually getting hit. Um, the second one, because that's been in my head for the past couple of days and hasn't let me sleep. Um, if you've seen the video, it's, it's terrifying. Um, the second woman's name is Diaz Love, and um, we should all remember her, but she also tweeted out that she is alive and in stable condition on Facebook, so we're thankful for that. But yeah, I can't just kind of, it, it's weird when they talk about when you take down statues and the right or, or white supremacists or whoever is offended by it, they talk about the violence and destruction that's going on um, when these statues are taken down, but they're they're oddly silent when something like this happens. Um, when actually human life is taken, they don't speak about the violence and destruction. And, and these are kind of things that we have to deal with and confront and discuss and talk about because, you know, actual people are dying on the left, whereas, you know, on the right, they're just worried about statues coming down. Leandro Legera, Rachel Eve Stein and Tori Brown panel, I so appreciate you guys joining us today. And thank you for, for your honesty, especially when it comes to talking about, and I feel bad for some for showing these fucked up videos, but I, I, if it wasn't for the video, right? How, how would we know? You know what I mean? I mean, we would know, but how would we verify? Or how, how could we verify to others? So uh, I, I appreciate you guys, you know, sit, sitting through and, and giving me your honest takes on some of the, the difficult things that we talked about today. So thank you. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thank I want to say thanks to everyone who was in the chat and the comments. We had a lot of comments today, guys. So thank you all for watching. Listen, we will be back Thursday and Friday. Don't forget Friday 
is First Nation Fridays, where we will be joining uh, with Jen Deerenwater, Desiree Kane, and Johnny J. A lot of news happening in and around Indian country this week. So tune in Fridays for that. I'm Kim Brown. I will see you guys on Thursday. Have a good rest of your evening. Bye.